You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good being with you guys. My name's Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here at the church. For those of you that are new, so glad you decided to worship with us. Hey, a couple of things before we get going in today's message. We're going to be in the book of Acts in chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn there, you can do that now. Um, but before we get started, I just want to say special thanks. Yesterday, uh, we had a number of families uh, and friends show up to help uh, clean out the last building on our campus to be re- renovated and the largest building on our campus. So it's actually much bigger than this uh, space right here, um, which, by the way, we are filling this space up. And so, which leads me to the point of this, Um, we need a a number of families, those of you that regularly attend and call North Valley home, to free up space in our second service and start coming on uh, first service. And then I'll challenge the first service to be inviting folks there. So before we build out more space and do all that kind of stuff, um, we want to just maximize, and I'm going to call it rebalance. Uh, we're going to rebalance services. Um, and you can hear the high school kids in the background cranking out, having a good time. So the church is just growing. So uh, that's really fun. But I want to say special thanks to all of you who are giving and serving. And those of you that came out yesterday, let's celebrate that. That was great. Hey, and thank you guys so much. Next week, we're starting a brand new message series called 40 Days of Service. I'm going to as well share with you about a resource initiative uh, that we're Uh, pursuing, and I want to share with you about some exciting new things that are happening at North Valley. Um, As well, one really wonderful thing I want to highlight before we get started this morning is a gentleman by the name of Steve Sutton. He's a a godly, godly man. He's he's been with us for some time now. Um, What you need to know about Steve is he has been nominated by our elder team and our staff team to serve as the next elder uh, here at the church. Yeah, we can celebrate that. That's awesome. And so today, today's the day where I, got, I get to tell you guys, he is completely confirmed as an elder. Steve, where are you? If you would stand up in the room right there, Steve Sutton, welcome to the team. A couple things about Steve that we like and we're really proud of is this guy loves Jesus Christ. He's the real deal Hollyfield. Uh, he's, he's genuine and uh, he has a personal walk with Jesus Christ to, he uh, loves the church. He loves the church. And, uh, and then Steve um, is a godly man. He, he loves his wife. He's got a wonderful wife named Priscilla. They're incredible servants. And here's what I love so much about this fit on uh, Steve's role. Um, he loves the community. He loves the community and wants to help share and show the love of Jesus Christ to the North Valley at large. And This is what we're going to learn about the North Valley. I'm going to talk to you today about evangelism and baptism as it pertains to our culture and our context. So the question comes is, what is evangelism? Evangelism means sharing our faith with those who are not not yet Christians. So this means that we have to open up our mouth and share our faith about Jesus Christ. The devil's tactic is to silence the witness. What Satan wants to do is silence the greatest work that has ever happened in your life. That is you proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord as a believer. What Satan wants to do is to squash it, to silence it. And I'm challenging you today, every believer here is to break the silence and share the truth, the greatest truth 
that revolutionizes every other thing in the world. Did you know 87% of our valley is without a church home? That's why we've got to make sure as when we look at 2019 and the years ahead for this church, we've made it through the startup phase of the church. We're moving into the build-up phase of the church where we're building up ministries and missions, which by the way, we have 40 plus people going down to Mexico on a, in a, the first mission trip that we've sent down there before. Can we celebrate that for a moment? The church is growing, the ministries are growing, the missions are growing, and that's so important. I like to say at North Valley, if we stop reaching out, then we'll be passing out, okay? The church that doesn't reach out is a church that's going to pass out. The church must move forward from generation to generation to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Evangelism is sharing our faith with those that are not yet Christians. 87% of our valley is without a church home. From the very, very top of the leadership structure at the church, we've got to have people that care about that statistic. They've got to say, well, not under our watch. Our, under our watch, we're going we're gonna to minister, we're going to equip believers to go into ministries, into mission, to share and show the love of Jesus Christ to the unchurched community. Our mission is not to gather other believers from other churches and to pontificate um, messages that would be super cool, you know. Um, you guys got a lot better options down the road, you know. I'm giving you the best I've got, but my heart and my hope is, is that I just motivate you to live a life that's contagious towards other people. And they see the, the love of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you to do the most exciting thing ever is to open your mouth and share about your faith. See, when somebody did that with me and I realized that their life was genuine, the real deal, it changed everything for me. 90% of unchurched people, did you know this, are open to having spiritual conversation. I've heard this so many times before by people that talk about, I don't share my faith because people don't want to hear it. Actually, they do want to have some kind of spiritual conversation. You bring Jesus up really, really fast, that might bother them. But if you talk about a spiritual conversation, 90% of people want to talk about that. Let me tell you about my friend, Matt. Matt serves uh, our, 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 this community. He stops off at the apartments and he um, oversees linens. And so he picks up linens all the time and he cleans them and he lives down in Mesa. And the other day he showed up on our campus and stopped the truck and got out. And I said, hey, Matt, just so you know, at North Valley, you're always welcome, man. I don't know if you go to a church around town or not. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to be able to just welcome you to come visit. And he said, uh, thanks, Pastor Ryan, but I don't, I, don't, I don't do church. I said, okay, that's cool. I said, well, do you have any kind of church background? Well, I grew up, my family was Catholic a little bit. We went to church on Christmas and Easter, but you know, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. That's the comment I get all the time. My point is saying is we sat there and dialogued for a long time and it came down to, I just had this conversation. I would just tell you, Matt, I just want to tell you at 18 years old, I met Jesus Christ and that changed my life. And I'm here to help share and show that love of God to other people so they, they can have the best families, they can experience the best life, and they can connect with the creator of the world, man. And he said, that's cool. We just had a spiritual conversation, though. My point is, guys, is 90% of unchurched people actually want to have a conversation. 
they don't need you to try to convert them. 90% of unchurched people are not open to being converted, but they're open to a conversation. Have the conversations. How are we going to win the world to Jesus Christ? How are we going to fulfill the Great Commission if we're not committed to having conversations with people that are racially, ethnically, politically, lifestyle choices different than ours? Listen, guys, we've got to move into the dark places and let the light of Jesus Christ shine. 87% of our churches without a church home. Here's the saddening statistic that will not be true of our church, and I'll figure out a way to measure it in our church, but 96% of American Christians have never shared their faith. That's the vast majority. So how are churches growing? Churches oftentimes reshuffle the deck where they target reaching other Christians because they put on better programs, better speakers, better blah, 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 and we're reshuffling the deck. That's not advancing the kingdom. That's creating more Bible classes. We've got to reach people who are far from God. If you're new to the church today and you're like, oh, wow, uh, you're getting an inside look at the heartbeat of North Valley. Two things we've got to step up, guys, is relational evangelism and going public in our faith in baptism. Baptism is a public proclamation of one's personal faith in Jesus Christ, who's Lord and Savior. Today, we're going to get the chance to look at one of the best case studies for evangelism and baptism in the book of Acts, where we're going to see a guy who makes a personal choice to be baptized as an adult. He's lived a life that he's maybe not proud of. He's feeling uh, some, he's, he's new to the Christian faith experience. And he's going to go public and be baptized. Here's what I understand about our church. Many of us have different views on baptism. And you say, why? Well, because about 33% of our church comes from various faith groups. Um, the biggest majority in the different faith groups within our church are Catholics. Um, my grandmother was Catholic. Um, I, as I understand, many folks that come out of a Catholic background, they come to our church and they say, this is just different. You teach a lot from the Bible. Um, and I'm like, okay, I don't know how to take that, but okay, good. We live under the authority of the Bible. The Bible is everything at the center of us, but it's not the book that makes the biggest difference. It's the person, Jesus Christ. And we're not here to just study a book. We're here to connect with the living Savior, Jesus Christ. And the book are his words. And we preach the word. It centers around Jesus. 33% of us come from various church backgrounds. 33% of our church comes from unchurched backgrounds. So if you're in that category, you come from a Catholic background, a Jehovah's Witness background, a Mormon background, or no church background, hey, I just want to say, we welcome you. You're at home here. We want to teach you about the Bible. We want to teach you about Jesus and then the rest of us, the 33% of us, come from conservative Christian churches. Good. I, I come from a conservative Christian church. And that's healthy biblical theology. Churches that live under the authority of Scripture. Churches that try to model what it looks like to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. That, that's us. But here's what we can't do. That 33% of conservative Christians can't try to form an army, a tribe, a clique, 
of other people that are just like them. The 33% of us that come from conservative Christian backgrounds got to wrap our arms around all those that come from different faith groups, all those that didn't come from any kind of faith group and say, hey, we're glad you're here. We've got more in common than I realized. So let's look at the passage when it comes to evangelism and baptism. Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40. So here's what we're going to get. We're going to be introduced to a guy by the name of Philip. Everybody say Philip. Philip is a really cool guy. We'll call him a North Coast kind of guy. He's actually from the North Coast of the Mediterranean Sea. After there was this crazy big persecution after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus reappeared for a period of 40 days and ministered in the, in the, to, to his believers and said, hey, go start churches. Philip was one of the seven deacons in the early church who was appointed as the church was exploding with growth along with a guy named Stephen, and they're to go out and help minister and build up the new Christian faith. And so what Philip does is persecution hit. This guy named Saul of Tarsus comes into Jerusalem, literally starts taking Christians. To be a Christian back then was to be illegal. Nero, the emperor, is about to come into power and systematically say, you will be persecuted, you will be put to death if you pretend or act like a Christian. Because that's like treason. Because Jesus is not king. Caesar is king. And there's religious turmoil. There's political turmoil. And this guy named Philip, whose life has been revolutionized and challenged and changed by the new Christian faith movement and, and Jesus, him and Stephen go out and they start doing ministry. Saul of Tarsus comes in, grabs Stephen, and then under the Saul of Tarsus' orders, Stephen's put to death. He's stoned to death. Philip, probably one of his best friends, says, I'm out of here. He's going back to the North Coast. And so he starts preaching. He starts doing ministry. He's one of the seven. He's on this kind of Billy Graham tour throughout the Mediterranean North Coast. He's preaching the gospel. People are coming to faith in Christ. This is awesome. It's going great. And then all of a sudden, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Let me stop right there. An angel of the Lord. This is extraordinary, supernatural kind of stuff that's happening. Speaks to Philip and says this. If an angel showed up in your house and said, hey, Tommy, hey, Billy, hey, Sarah, rise. You'd be like, what? You would rise, but would you do this? Go. Go towards the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, a.k.a. this is a desert place. He's got he's to get up and he's got to go. I bet Philip thought, that kind of sounds familiar. The Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all nations. Philip says, yeah, I'll do that. Look what he does, verse 27. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. Three things about this guy. Number one, I, this is so scholastic. You'll be so smart. You'll be so proud of me how smart I am. He was an Ethiopian. He was from Ethiopia. That's what he says, an Ethiopian. He was from Africa. He was African. He was black. He was different. He was rich. You're like, how do you know that? Ethiopia was this incredibly wealthy country. You're like, seriously? Seriously. He was a eunuch. That's not cool. 
I'm not signing up, and I don't want to be a eunuch. Either this guy was emasculated or castrated. Ouch. What did he do? He was a court official. He would have worked with the ladies. He was either worked with concubines or worked with the queen or the ladies in the, in the palace. And they just sent him a very clear message by making him a eunuch. But he was Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. That's not her name. I kept thinking, that's her name. Oh, Candace, the great queen. No, that's actually a title for Ethiopian queens. She was African. She was black. She was a queen. She had power. She had so much wealth. She came from the line of Sheba, who came and consulted with Solomon to broker international trade deals. This woman is competent, powerful. And this servant, this Ethiopian, was in charge of all her treasure. This is a powerful man. This is not some eunuch you should feel sorry for, although you should feel sorry for that part of his life. He was in charge. He had power. He had authority. Think of him as a foreign dignitary who can launch trade deals, travel abroad, speak in different languages, very highly educated. It says in the scripture that he had come to Jerusalem. Verse 27, he had come to Jerusalem. Okay, I'm not a geography nerd, but that's like 2,500 miles. That would have taken two to three months one way, on a chariot, not walking. That means he would have had to have the relational political clout to tell the queen, I need a sabbatical for like six months because I'm going to the first pilgrimage, going to Jerusalem. God was about and has always been about making the gospel for all people, all races, all colors, all backgrounds. And the gospel message is coming out. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading in the prophet of Isaiah. A couple things there. This chariot is like, you don't need to think of it as a podunk little wagon hooked to a mule. This is like, you need to think about a Cadillac Escalade, black, decked out, blowing through the desert. This thing is the Mac attack, okay? And it is, seriously, it's only reserved for the uber wealthy of the world or the royal dignitaries. He's riding this chariot and he's reading in Isaiah. Why is he reading in Isaiah? His feelings were probably hurt from reading in Deuteronomy chapter 23 when it talks about eunuchs have no place in the temple in Jerusalem. He was probably reading about that and then all of a sudden he came to the text in Isaiah chapter 56, three through five where he heard about the prophetic message that the Messiah was gonna come and then all people from all places and all backgrounds, all economic diversity, all ethnic diversity would be welcome in the presence of the King Jesus. That day was coming. That day was here. That's what possessed a man to go two to three months uh, in his sweet decked out Escalade to get to Jerusalem. He's reading Isaiah. Verse 29, look what the Spirit said to Philip. And, and the Spirit said to Philip, extraordinary revelation from God to accomplish extraordinary mission for God. Go, there it is again, go, what I'm telling you, North Valley, go. You've got to go share your faith. Don't sit silent. Don't let the enemy win. Break the silence. Go public. 
The Spirit of God said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and, and asked the question. So let me just get this straight. So Philip is told by an angel, go over there to that entourage or the black escalade, even though you're on foot and you look like a hobo hilly, hillbilly, um, go over there, run over there and just run next to it. And then all of a sudden he's so close, he says, are you reading Isaiah? Well, yes, I am. You know, if, look what it says, what, look what happens. Do you understand what you're reading? Okay, if, if I am as accomplished as this foreign dignitary and educated as him, versed in multiple language, serve as a financial steward of an entire kingdom and country, that might be insulting to me. Imagine you're reading your Bible and somebody at church walks by and goes, do you understand what you're reading? You'd be like, back up. Yes, I understand I'm reading it. But he asked that question and look at the humble response, verse 31. And he said, how can I, this is a eunuch, how can I unless somebody guides me? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that this guy's open to spiritual conversations? Yes or no? He's totally open. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Go ahead, I don't know who you are, but sure, come on, get in my chariot. You look tired. So, he's a North Coast guy, he jumps in the chariot. Verse 32, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Luke, the historian, captures this for us. It just happens to be a passage of scripture in Isaiah. That's about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. The innocent one that died for the guilty. The Lamb of God. And this young man is reading this text and going, I feel like this book is about me. And he says, this is the passage I was reading. Like a sheep who was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And then the eunuch asks this question to Philip. About whom I ask you, does a prophet say this is about himself or is it about someone else? In other words, he says, is this about Isaiah or is it about like Jesus? And the answer is, we always know, it's about Jesus. And then verse 35, and then Philip, look what he does. He opened his mouth. The biggest problem that we have in evangelism, we don't want to open our mouth. You need to speak up. Break the silence, ladies and gentlemen. You have friends and family. Their marriages are falling apart. You have the key of life in your life. You know the source of life. You have friends that are suicidal, addicted. You have the key of life. Open your mouth. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, this scripture the very scripture that he was at, he met him right where he was at. Okay, you're in Isaiah, let's talk about Isaiah. Because it's really all about Jesus. And he told him the good news. I want to encourage you today, maybe you came in today, you need to be reminded of good news. As a Christian, you need to be reminded of good news. There's forgiveness, there's hope, there's healing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I could not live and he died the death that you and I should have died. Every day is a day of grace for you and me. 
Every day we got to reapply the good news to our life and say, man, I got good news in my life. My eternity is set. It's secure because of the work of Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry about is the scale of good works higher or is it lower? I can go. Jesus did it all. He paid it all for me. So for you and me, the good news needs to be for, we need to accept it and we need to take the responsibility to share it. So going on from there, we see this good news is about Jesus. In verse 36, now they're moving from a conversation. Now they're talking about all sorts of things. I don't think that this guy hitched a ride on the chariot. If I was Philip, I would want to milk that ride for as long as I could. I'd be like, hey, man, I'll tell you anything else you need to know. You want to know about, like, Solomon? You want to know about, like, you know, I'll tell you about Abraham, Jacob. What do you want to know? But what Philip could tell him the most about was Jesus and the power of what happened in the church. He probably told him about the truth was, yeah, Stephen was stoned. And the church is scattered right now. And I'm on this tour just trying to share and show the love of Christ. Philip would testify, I've seen miracles, man. I don't know how to explain it. And the eunuch's like, man, that... So all this Isaiah, this prophecy of a thousand something years before the time of Christ, so you're telling me, the eunuch would be saying, you're telling me Jesus actually is that Messiah. And Philip's going, absolutely. The very first thing Jesus did when he walked into the synagogue is he picked up the scroll and he started where? In Isaiah. And said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. So Philip, they're having a conversation. I bet it got religious. I bet it got political. You know, so tell me about this eunuch thing. Well, let's get to the, uh, the foreign dignitary side. And they talk about politics. They talk about Bible. They talk, well, at that time, the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament scriptures. They talk about theology. Because then it gets down into this. Like all of a sudden, verse 36, and they're going along. This had been a long ride. They came to some water and the eunuch said this. See? Ha ha, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? In other words, he's saying, I, I heard you guys get baptized. I heard Jesus got baptized. I heard like Jesus baptized people and those people baptized other people. And what prevents me from being baptized? See, he had felt like he was on the outside for so long. He'd read Deuteronomy. I have no place in the temple. But then he read Isaiah and he says, wow, I get to be a part of this. The gospel, the good news is for all people. So why can't I get baptized? Philip's got good Bible, good th theology. Look what he says. He responded in confidence and the unit commanded the chariot, verse 38, to stop. He's got charge. He's got power. They command, they, he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. He just baptized them right there. They're driving along on a road trip. They stop. Like, there's some water. I'm going to get baptized. Tell you a story about a friend of mine, Tommy. Tommy's a, a, a great friend of mine. We were out here early on when we bought the campus. We're cleaning it up. And, and um, he wanted to be baptized on the campus. And right at the time, the place was a dump. This used to be a wedding a venue, a bar, a restaurant. And then during the Great Recession, it all fell apart. We bought it at its lowest, ugliest point possible. So he walked onto campus, he and I, his life had been recently changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was given everything he could to just serve 
and just show his gratitude and serving on the campus. And we walk up on this water fountain right out here. And unfortunately at that time, there's like frogs and snakes in that thing. And he's so bold and has such vision. He's like, I should get baptized there. I'm like, there? And we transformed it. And I'll show you a picture. And we baptized Tommy right there. And he was the very first person on this campus to be baptized. We celebrate that. Let's celebrate that. Tommy went public with his friends and his family. Let me tell you something. That Ethiopian eunuch, newsflash, was the first missionary back to the continent of Africa, shares the gospel, and newsflash, Africa has more Christians than any other continent of the world today. Let me just tell you something, friends. Break the silence and go public. That foreign dignitary did. He goes back, did the big pilgrimage back home. 2,500 miles, three months, and he shares about Jesus. But then look what happens, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God is unpredictable about what's going to happen sometimes in your life. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I don't know if I was like the foreign dignitary guy, I'd be like, no, wait, come back. He's getting taken away. You're like, can God do that? Sure, he can do that. He can split a Red Sea. He can create something out of nothing. Of course he can. But this is funny. Like, oh, the, the, the uh, Ethiopian, he just goes on. He's rejoicing. Like, whoo, 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 wasn't that cool? There goes, there goes Philip. <laughs> Verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotos. That's like 80-something miles away. Last night, uh, we were going down to Tucson, got stuck in the traffic. I hate driving down there, I'm sorry. But it, that freeway is just disaster. Road construction everywhere. There's always something going on with that stretch of highway. So we get stuck down there, and my daughter, seven years old, says, Dad, can we just teleport our car? And I was like, we're, like no, that would be cool. And then I thought about it. I thought, well, Philip did. Philip teleported, but sorry, Maya, we can't teleport the car. So Philip gets teleported, and he passed through the God. He preached the gospel into all the towns. He's a North Coast preacher. He's an evangelist. He's going up and down the coast sharing about the good news of Jesus. Here's what I love about Philip. His hometown becomes Caesarea. And uh, he has four wonderful daughters, they're all followers of Jesus Christ. He has a family. And then he turns into a host home for one of the greatest men that ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus, and that was the Apostle Paul. He opened up his home for him. And that's the same guy that killed his friend, Stephen. There was a powerful life change in Philip's life. And he becomes this incredible force to be reckoned with. So what does this mean for you and me? It's real simple, friends. You need to break the silence. Our church will live and die in a generation if we don't break the silence. Our friends are suffering. Our family is hurting. And the greatest thing that you and I could do is share our faith. I want to just help you to break the silence and go public. 
I want to challenge you that this is your, one of your greatest responsibilities. And you may say to me, well, I'm not an evangelist, or I don't have the gift of evangelism, or I don't think, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to the Bible. I open the Bible and I get nervous. I do too, actually. Every time I get up to preach, I get like these little butterflies going on. And I feel like my worst nightmare is I'm going to open it up and be like in the wrong section. I have this reoccurring nightmare. I'm going to get up and I don't know what to say. And I'm just going to be like, blah, 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 blah. So I get it, but that's not an excuse. So we need to share our faith. Here's like the dummy guide on how to share your faith. This is, I wrote this for uh, youth leaders, youth, youth and adults years ago. I worked with the Luis Palau Evangelistic Association. Share. You start with just talk about yourself. And some of you are really good at that. You just tell them about you. Be you, man. Be you. Where are you at? Man, Jesus changed my life. Or, man, I go to church, but to be honest, I don't go that much. But when I do go, it means a lot to me. It's really helped my family. It's really helped my marriage. I hear stories all the time of you guys working in the community and your customers will come in and somehow you get to talking about Jesus or the church. That's awesome. Keep doing it. Talk about yourself. Ask where home is. Nobody's from here. You ask people where home is, they'll tell you from the Midwest or California, tell you how expensive it is in California, how cold it is in the Midwest. Or activities, what do they like doing? Do they like football, whatever? And then you can get to the religious conversation by simply asking, hey, are you religious? No, I'm not. Are you spiritual? Yeah, I'm spiritual. And start there. And then you might just extend an invitation to join you at a service. When's a good time to invite people to church? Anytime, guys. Anytime. Anytime you want. We're always ready. For those of you that are new, maybe today's your first day at church. Man, we're glad you're here. You're getting an inside look at the church. We are committed to the great commandments and the great commission. The great commandments are to love God and to love our neighbors. 87% of our neighbors don't have a church home. That means we have to learn how to love unchurched people. Our great commission, we're going to make disciples, helping them to take steps forward to be baptized. Secondly, I want to challenge you, proclaim your faith through baptism. You ask the question, why? I put a, just a ton of Bible verses on your program. Jesus was baptized. He's the greatest model. He identified with John the Baptist's uh, message of baptism. Jesus baptized others. According to John chapter 3, Jesus' disciples baptized others, according to the Gospel of John. Jesus commanded all believers to be baptized. The early church practiced it. And here's the cool thing. It celebrates your new life in Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you this. I know a number of you come out of Catholic backgrounds or backgrounds Episcopalian, and you were baptized as an infant. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. You should thank your mom and your dad for doing that because what they're saying is, we care about you. We care about the Christian faith. They did the best that they know what to do. But I will tell you this, friends. Everything that we do shouldn't because somebody else tells us to do it. Everything we do should because of the word of God says it and we live underneath it. So if you don't believe me on being baptized by immersion as Jesus practiced the early church, the apostles and everybody else, just read the Bible. That's my only challenge to you. Always, whatever I say, if it doesn't sound right, just go to the word. And if it's inconsistent, I need to change my message. So here we go, closing out. 
I just want to challenge you. It's a public proclamation of your faith. Here's the big takeaway for us all is break the silence and go public. Share your faith. Be baptized. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I pray that this word would sink home and there would be no more silence in the areas where people need to hear your truth. I pray for a motivation by love, not with this ultimate uh, ambition to just do it, to check the list, but God, to be motivated and prompted by the heart. We love you and give you thanks for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.